have our Bibles open, let's ask God to open our hearts and receive this word. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, how grateful we are to be in your house, to just be able to sit at your feet, to be able to worship you, Lord, through song. And now, God, I pray that our worship would continue as we look into your word. We thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you've given us this this book uh, for us to follow and hear your heart um, and to be transformed into your likeness, Lord Jesus. I pray for our church. I pray for each and every person here this morning, and I pray that you would just bless them, bless their lives. Uh, Lord, we are your kids. We're sitting at your feet, and we want to hear from you. So help us to have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Not what I have to say, but what you have to say, God. Your words are eternal. Your words are so much more important than mine or anyone else's. And so we just come today saying, speak into our lives, Lord, that we would be changed and transformed. And we pray it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. On April 29th, 2015, the Baltimore Orioles and the Chicago White Sox played a game at Camden Yards in Baltimore. The game was one of 162 that season, but this particular game set an unexpected record. For the first time in Major League Baseball history, a game was played before zero fans, which we're used to during the pandemic. But no one attended the game, and the reason no one attended the game is because the fans were locked out. Violent riots that day in the city of Baltimore caused baseball officials to close the gates. The game was played to keep from having to make it up later in the year, but without any spectators. Here's how one reporter described a moment in the game. Chris Davis might have hit the quietest home run for the home team in Orioles history. The only muffled cheers came from a pocket of diehards locked out of Camden Yards. On this day, 30,000 Oriole fans were muted. The wild applause was silenced. There were no fans for a standing ovation. Just Davis's teammates in the dugout coming over for high fives. Davis commented, when you're rounding the bases, and the only cheers you hear are from outside the stadium, it's a weird feeling. This is exactly the heart of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul hit, if you will, many spiritual home runs in his life. He wrote the majority of the New Testament, the, the letters that we read he's written, and, and with a lot of, not a lot of fanfare. Paul's ministry was not about gaining man's attention. Paul's ministry was about hearing the cries from afar in heaven that God had called him to share the gospel. And sometimes as believers, we need to be faithful even when we don't hear the cheers and the applause and the well-dones. Are we being faithful in our walk with God? Are we being faithful as Christians in the world that we live in? 
as we sense and, and feel the return of Jesus Christ coming ever more closely, we have now have to get into the mindset that Lord, now is the time for the church to stand up. Now is the time for the church to not worry about anyone on the sidelines saying yay and applauding, not drawing attention to ourselves, but drawing attention to Christ. That was Paul's heart. That must be our hearts here today. Paul had no standing ovations, no wild applause. He only wanted to hear those words from his Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think I shared it last week. To me, those are gonna be the most amazing words we will ever hear spoken to us from heaven. Well done. Because for many of us, we think sometimes we don't do things well. Sometimes we don't think we're doing it to God's satisfaction, but the smallest of effort, the smallest of grace, the smallest of forgiveness and mercy that we can show to someone, I believe all of heaven applauds and says, yes, show someone mercy in their life. Well done is what we wanna hear. And in today's text, Paul talks about what compelled him to stay faithful what it was that motivated him. I ask you this morning, what motivates you to be a good Christian? What compels you to continue to fight the fight? Right, as believers, many times we're mocked, many times we're made fun of that we believe in these things, but the more closely the return of Christ comes, the more excited I get to see God work through my life and the life of this church and the life of his people because I think it's so important in the days that we're living today. Today, we're gonna to talk about what compels you. What is it that motivates you to be a bold witness for Christ? To be someone that is not ashamed to say, I'm a Christian. Not to be ashamed to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe what the Bible said. I believe Methuselah lived all those years. I believe Peter walked on water. I believe Jesus died on a cross and it was satisfactory to God for the sins of the world. I believe because that's what people need to hear, guys. They need to hear that we believe in what we preach, that we believe in the things that we read about, that we believe in this savior named Jesus that died for my sins, your sins, and the sins of the world. We have to live with passion about that. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. And hopefully, you know, we'll get through the rest of this chapter. We'll see what the Lord does. We're gonna pick back up verse nine. We read it last week, but it's so important. We need to read it again. In chapter five of 2 Corinthians, it says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. We talked about it last time. Therefore, we, in verse uh, seven, he talks about we walk by faith, not by sight. In verse eight, we are confident, yes, well-pleased rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And so Paul in verse nine says, therefore, because of those things, because we walk by faith and not by sight, because we walk uh, in, in total surrender to God, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. And Paul's not saying whether we're present or absent from this life. He means whether we're in each other's presence or we're apart from each other, to always be well-pleasing to God. 
See, it's one thing to be a strong Christian when you're showing up at church, but it's another thing to show up as a believer on Mondays, on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays, to be well-pleasing to God. And you know what that is? It's simple faith in Christ. We can't do it, but God can do it through you. Well-pleasing to him is listening to his voice and doing the things that he says. So Paul says, therefore, we make it our aim. That's our goal. That's what we strive for, to be well-pleasing to God. Again, if we're gonna hear, well done, good and faithful servant, then we have to please him. We have to do what he wants. And it's not always comfortable, is it? It's not always easy. Sometimes it takes us out of our routine or takes us out of our itinerary. But God wants us to be faithful. And so Paul says, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The Apostle Paul here says very plainly, there's a day coming where all believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? And this judgment seat is actually the bema seat. It's, it's the place where rewards are given out and where discipline is given. And Paul is saying all believers will stand before God, believers will stand before God, give an account for the things that we've done in this life. Pay very close attention to me. This is not the great white throne judgment that all people will stand before and before God and then say, why should I let you in? Why should I invite you into heaven? And then you'll think the great thing for us as believers, you know what we say? Jesus. <laughs> Not, well, I did this for you. I was a pastor for you. I served as a missionary for you. I, I did all these good things for you. We, we did things in Haiti for you. No, not all that. That's not it. <laughs> Do you believe in Jesus? Because none of us is good enough to earn ourselves to heaven. Not one of us. I don't care how good. Billy Graham did not live a life that would earn him heaven. Jesus Christ dying on the cross earned Billy Graham his access to heaven and it's the same for you. And so there's a, a, the great white throne judgment is about us looking to see do we deserve heaven? Is our name written in the book of life? But not so here. What Paul is talking about, there's gonna be a time when we stand before God. Yet this judgment seat of Christ, this bema seat, and he's gonna say, I'm gonna reward you for the good you did for me. He's not gonna punish us for the bad that we did, but we're gonna suffer loss. And so this is the time to be reminded what compels you to be a good believer is that God's gonna reward us one day for serving him. And here's the best part. If you're just a willing servant, if you just have a willing heart to use your gifts and talents for God, he's the one that will reward you, but he's the one that's actually doing it through you. I love this about the Lord. And not only does he say, do some things for me, be good witnesses for me, be filled with my Holy Spirit so that you can be a good witness, but I'm gonna reward you for letting me work through you. That's amazing, isn't it? That's not how the world works, is it? <laughs> no, you better work hard. You better put in some time. You better work some overtime before you're gonna get a bonus, before you're gonna get rewarded. You have to work hard. And many times as believers, we apply that to God. 
I got to work really hard if God wants to be well-pleasing to me. I've said it many times and I've tried to remind myself constantly, you know what God wants the most from you? Is to be faithful. To be faithful. To be a faithful dad, to be a faithful mom, to be a faithful employee, to be faithful in the things that you're doing. God loves it when we help him further the gospel like the apostle Paul and spread the good news and lead people to Christ. But he wants you to be faithful in what you're doing first. I believe there's too many people that sacrifice their responsibilities in their family for ministry. And I don't think God likes that. Your first and foremost ministry is your family. And that is so important in the days that we're living because we can get so overwhelmed. And here Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment feet of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. There's gonna be a movie <laughs> that plays when we get up into heaven. This is what you did. This is how you lived. This is what you did for your life. There's gonna be times where God's gonna say, look how, look, Look, look how I used you there. Oh, thank you for doing it. He's gonna reward us. There's gonna be other times where we're gonna see that we live selfishly, right? But listen, this side of heaven is the only opportunity we have to do good for Christ. So it's a reminder to be compelled, to compel you to be used by God. That's what he wants to do. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 20, in verses 11 through 15, it says this, Paul talking about the great white throne judgment, he says, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. Whoa, reading the wrong verse, sorry. Uh, I'll try that again. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Those are unbelievers. By the things which were written in the book. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the death who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works, not the work of Christ, their works. Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I know for many of us, we read Revelation and man, it scares us. But it shouldn't scare a believer. It should motivate a believer to help unbelievers Get their names written in the book of life. And you get your name written in the book of life when you trust in Jesus. As soon as you surrendered your life to Christ and said, I'm gonna follow Jesus, Jesus said, write his name or her name in my book of life. And therefore, his life takes place for our life. We receive the righteousness of Christ. So what compels us is to understand we're gonna be rewarded for the things we do, but we need to help people understand if you don't accept Christ in this life, you will be eternally separated from God in the lake of fire. It's a place we call what? Hell. I know people don't wanna talk about hell, but I think it's important that we remember there is a place, there's heaven, we wanna talk about that, but there's also a place called hell. And we can avoid it if we give our lives to Christ. And that should be the motivation behind the things that we do. Paul, 
listen, there's rewards coming. And here's the thing about God. I think the rewards are gonna be so worth it. I think it's gonna be, you're gonna be like, Lord, you don't need to do that to me, but he loves to bless his kids and reward us. It will be well worth any struggle, any difficulty we have here on this earth when he rewards us for those things. It'll be amazing. Uh, Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter three. Should just be a handful of pages to the left. 1 Corinthians 3, we pick up in verse 5. Paul writing to the church of Corinth there and trying to correct some problems there says this Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wide master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. That's what we're doing, guys. We're building on foundations that have been laid in people's lives, the things that have been spoken into their lives. We all participate. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. And so this is the Bema Seat <clears throat> uh, judgment that, that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians. There's gonna be this test of all the things that we've done. And it's gonna go through, and many times, I remember when I was a young believer, I used to hear teachings on this and read this area of scripture and, used to th- and I used to focus so much on the things that would burn up and fall away. But God quickly knocked on my heart and said, don't focus on what's gone. Focus on what remains because the things that remain in your life were things that, Rob, that you and I have done together that God has done with you, the things that are gonna read, the precious stones, the gold, the silver, are all gonna be those things that God helped us do in our lives because none of us can do anything good apart from the spirit of God. None of us has the ability to lead anyone to Christ, but we can certainly participate in that process. And so one day, everything that's good, everything that we're gonna be rewarded for is gonna be a byproduct of God's faithfulness to us and our faithfulness in God. What a beautiful picture it is. And it should compel us. It should be something that persuades us to help people understand this truth. It's not that difficult. Paul goes on in verse 11, as you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter five, he goes, knowing therefore 
the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Again, remember who Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to a church that really looked down on the Apostle Paul. Paul lived a hard life. He suffered a lot, but he kept on being faithful to God. And the church accord that looked at the Apostle Paul and said, man, if you were doing the will of God, you wouldn't suffer as much. That was their mentality. And Paul, in a sense, almost sarcastically, he's saying, you know, we don't commend ourselves to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf. This church was not boasting on his behalf but he was trying to convict their hearts and let them understand the things that Paul was doing were in direct obedience to God. And their judging him and judging his ministry was wrong. And so what I love about the Apostle Paul is he lets the Holy Spirit do the convicting. And doesn't the Holy Spirit do a much better job of convicting our hearts than any human being? When somebody comes to me and exposes an error in my life, the first thing I want to say is, who are you to judge me? Isn't that how we are? That's what the flesh does. But a mature Christian goes, okay, that hurt, that was hard, but is there truth in it? And let the Spirit bring that conviction. And I think that was the heart of the Apostle Paul. He said, you know what, church? I love you so much. In fact, <laughs> he says, and again in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, knowing that when we stand before God apart from Christ, you're being sent to hell. That's the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. Paul had a persuasion. Again, what compels him was his persuasion to lead people to Christ because he knew the final outcome. I know the terror of the Lord. And isn't it nice when you know you're living in line with God's law, with, in line with God's word, there's no fear in that, right? When you do right, there's no problem. Anybody ever be speeding and pass a cop on the side of the road? What's the first thing you think? Hit the brakes, slow down, right? There's terror there because you're breaking the law. But if we're not, if we're going the speed limit, we just go by the cop and we say, ha, can't get me, ha <laughs> ha. There's no terror there. But there's a world that's living contrary to God's word and that should bring terror to them but they don't understand but we do don't we we understand the reality that none of us can accomplish this thing called life apart from the blessing, blessings of God and so Paul says I'm persuading men to believe in Jesus. And Paul and the church of Corinth was living under many ministers that were drawing attention to themselves. That's why he says here at the end of verse 12 that uh, to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Paul probably wasn't the most comely gentleman to be looking at. It was probably nothing to, to bring attention to. But Paul's heart was gold. Paul's heart was genuine as he was living for God. 
And so he's saying that you'll have something to say for those who are drawing attention to themselves, that you'll understand that they only are ministering to you or, or talking to you out of selfish gain. Guys, God sees our hearts more than anything else. God sees what's in our hearts. And we have got to live in such a way that our hearts are revealed to people. It's a lot easier to confront someone in their life and to share Christ with them when you come from a heart of love, right? Anytime I hear, you know, fire and brimstone, I'm like, whew, how does that lead anybody to Christ? You gotta know the love of God. Right? John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave. He's, he's generous. And so to think this week about persuading people, and I think the best way to persuade someone is to just live a life that honors the Lord. You know, it's not our job to convince anybody, but are you convinced in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is? Are you convinced in your heart that because of what Jesus has done, you're gonna go to heaven and you're gonna be rewarded for the things that you're doing? That's the difference. That's how we persuade people because of the peace and the joy that we have in our lives in the midst of turmoil. That's what attracts people to God. How do we persuade? We live a life on fire for Jesus, thanking him for all he's done for us. Right? We humbly fall before, on our knees before God and say, God, thank you for saving me. I don't feel I deserve it, but obviously you did. That's what God does. God knows all things. And that's what Paul says basically here. God sees all things. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So we see here the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, he says in verse 13, for if we are besides ourselves, you can circle those two words beside ourselves and write alongside it, crazy. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. If we're crazy, <laughs> It's for God. We should be crazy for Jesus. We should be crazy for the Lord. And that, you know, doing things that made no sense. I mean, you look at the life of the Apostle Paul and you would think, wow, dude, that was not easy. That was hard. But he was living for God. And he's just basically saying, if, if we are besides ourselves, if we're crazy, it's for the Lord. Be crazy for God do crazy things. Isn't that what Jesus did when he was on earth? He did things that really challenged the religious leaders. He did things that no one else could do because he was fulfilling God's purposes. He was fulfilling God's heart. And he was always trying to honor the Lord. In verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. And to me, this is the heart of the message. When you fully understand and grasp how much God loves you, wow. I mean, if, if, if you don't fully understand that, it won't make any sense, right? There is nothing that we can do to separate us from the love of God. God just loves us. 
And that should be a compelling factor for people to let them know God loves them. Right? You don't, you're no better than they are. <laughs> you're just as needy as them. You're just as sinful as they are. You just happen to know God. You just happen to know the word of God. You just happen to know what God's plan is for salvation because it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. 1 Samuel 16, 7. As Paul's talking about, again, the flesh and the outward appearance, Samuel 16, 7 says this. Should be up there, yep. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see a man as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, we're limited, aren't we? We're limited by only seeing appearances. We're limited by only seeing the outside. And it's real easy for us and real natural for us to judge people by appearance. God help us in that area. God help us to see spiritually. God help us to see people's hearts. God, help us to truly understand what it means to live for God. People that live on fire for the Lord. Did anybody see the documentary on uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? I mean, that guy loved the Lord Jesus. But I'll admit, it's a little odd, but he loved the Lord. He loved God. He was loving those kids. He was... Mm, he was used by God and we gotta be very careful when we look at someone or judge someone based on appearance because that's not what God sees. God help us to see people's heart and people's character. Not on the things that they do, that, that they say, or how they look. That's seeing things the way God sees things. And that's what should compel us. The love of God in someone's life should compel us to tell others about Christ. He goes on. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. Now this area here is very interesting because it, there are some who read this verse and say, Jesus died for all, therefore all are saved. And that's, you know, it's not really written that way. He did not die for all people, let me say this right, he did not die on the cross and then all people are immediately saved. Because that's how people, some people think. He died so everybody had access to eternal life. But they have to accept him. We have to die to self, do we not? That's why he says, for one died for all, that then all died. Only believers have died to themselves. And that's probably probably the most difficult thing for most unbelievers is they have to die to self. Isn't it, wasn't that hard? Coming to the Lord, denying self because we always want to take care of self. We always want to take care of ourselves and, and the things that are going on, we want, we want to make sure we're okay. And when we give our lives to Christ, we surrender our will for his will. And that's hard. That's something we've got to live up to every single day. Day. We have to be dead to ourselves and to live for God. And let me say this. Living for God means just keeping God on your mind, right? 
I mean, living for God doesn't mean you become a missionary or you become you know, someone that serves in the church. It means living your life, the life that you have, and keeping God on the forefront of your mind in everything you do, every way you respond to things. That's what God wants to see in our lives, that we live for him dying to self. The problem is we have to take care of ourselves. The problem is we're still in this tent, we're still in this flesh, and we have to fight that constantly. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. I crucify my flesh every single day. That's the fight we have. It's crucifying and fighting our flesh. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I want to bring up this verse in Revelation chapter 4 out of the King James Version because this translation says it so well. He says this. He says, For, for thou hast created all things, and look at this, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. God created us for his pleasure. He, he takes pleasure in watching your life. He takes pleasure in moving mountains for you. He takes pleasure for doing amazing things in your life. That's what he enjoys. And what a beautiful picture that is when we think about living for him when we're always on his mind and we bring him great pleasure. Look at verse 16. Another therefore. (laughs) Therefore from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Oh, that we would just live that way. <laughs> Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's a hallelujah right there. We're new, we're changed. We're different. We don't think like the world thinks. We shouldn't act like the world acts. We should look different. We are new creations in Christ, and that happens at the moment you give your life to Jesus. Yes, there's a process of sanctification. Yes, there's a process of maturing through life, but the moment you give your life to Christ, you're a new creation. The Holy Spirit's in you. You are now set apart and marked for heaven. And to live in that newness, that reconciling that he's given to us. Notice it says in verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The moment you gave your life to Christ, you became a new creation. And Jesus reconciled you back into a relationship with God. That's the reconciliation. That's the, rec- the ministry of reconciliation is bringing two that were at odds together. And I love the fact that he says we all have been given the ministry of reconciliation, which is certainly can be applied to our relationships together, that if you've got anything between another brother or sister in Christ, be reconciled. Reconcile that relationship. That's what honors God. It's not gonna be easy. Someone has to eat some humble pie and say they're sorry. Someone has to say, please forgive me. Someone has to say, I made a mistake. But God is well pleased with the ministry of reconciliation. But even beyond that, 
what God wants us to do is help people be reconciled to God. Those unbelieving relatives in your family, you may be the only Bible that they ever read and God wants you to reconcile them to him. And I, listen, I know the list of God, you know, Pastor Rob, you don't understand what they've done, what they've said, how tough it is. I understand. I do. It's not easy. But are we thinking, like we talked last week, of eternal things? Are we thinking in our mindset on the things of heaven? And if we're thinking heaven, (laughs) then we need to look at the people in our lives that cause us difficulty and realize, apart from Christ, they will not get to go to heaven. So to be reconciled, the ministry of reconciliation means we have to participate with God to help people understand what it means to have a relationship with God. And again, it goes back to live your life as a believer with the joy of the Lord being the strength of your life and people wanting what you have. They're not gonna want what you have if it's not of great value to you. Seriously. If you, if you don't share your faith, if you don't live excited about being saved, if you don't live excited about getting to go to heaven, people aren't gonna look at you and go, I don't want any of that. They look miserable. Right? Oh, struggling as a Christian. That was a promise. <laughs> Jesus said, you're gonna find it difficult in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. <coughs> be of good cheer. Be joyful. And that's why I think Paul is able to say, be reconciled. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus said it himself. If you bring your gift to the altar and there at the altar, remember that you've wronged someone, you've sinned against someone, leave your gift at the altar, go back, be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer your gift before the Lord. We can come to Lord and pray and we can praise him and we can ask him to do things in our life but if he knows there's a relationship in our life that's not right, he's like, I need you to make that right. I need you to swallow your pride and go back and be reconciled. Listen, I know there's some relationships that may never move forward as they used to be but at least be reconciled in giving forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. Reconcile doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with the person, it just means you're gonna make things right. Because I think that speaks volumes in this world. For someone to come back and say, you know what, I wronged you many years ago and I feel bad and I'm asking you for your forgiveness. I think that speaks volumes. Even if the person goes, gosh, I haven't even thought about that. The, the, The character, the integrity of you going and saying, I'm sorry. You know, I heard a story about someone many years ago. Uh, they, they had given their lives to God and they remembered, uh, I think it was at a grocery store, someone had given them too much money or something. I can't remember the details of the story. But after many years, they went back and they said, you know what, you guys gave me too much money and I wanna give this back. And they're like, you don't have to do that. And the person was like, no, I really need to do this. It's the right thing to do because I'm a Christian. (laughs) Do what's right because it's right. Not because someone, don't do it. Don't not do it because someone has forgotten about it. 
because God doesn't forget about it. Be reconciled and help people reconcile. I think the, the ministry of reconciliation can be looking at two brothers and saying, you guys need to talk. You guys need to work this out. This is not right as the family of God. And to deal with these hard issues, I've seen God do amazing things in my life by me going to someone and saying, we need to talk. We need to work this out. This is not right between two brothers, especially brothers in the Lord. Verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. As we read the word, the word, the scripture tells us, be reconciled. And notice it is God and Jesus that were at work when Jesus was dying on that cross. They worked together to accomplish God's purpose. And it was God reconciling with the world through Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, you know, Hebrews talks about the joy that was set before him because of the salvation it brings to you. Well, when Jesus was in the garden saying, make this cup pass from me, it's because he knew he was gonna take on the sins of the world. A sinless God taking on sin. Jesus didn't become a sinner. He was sinless and paid the price for sinners because we couldn't. And it was that wrath of God, his father, upon his shoulders that he took that he did not want to go through. But it was his joy to do it and he chose to do it because of the life he would give to you and me. That's a beautiful picture. And that's what he and God were doing. The word, he committed us to the word of reconciliation. If God could do that, then we can certainly do it ourselves. Finally, look at verse 20 and 21. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And look at this. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The last thing I see here, when we're talking about what compels us, (laughs) to me, it's God pleading through us. God's using your life as a way of telling other people, I want you to be in my family. I want you to come to me. I'm begging you. And so Paul is able to say, as ambassadors of Christ, here on this place, representing God as ambassadors, we do what God tells us. And all we do is tell and share the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the message people need to hear. And because we're telling people the gospel, God is pleading through you to transform someone's heart. I think about the men in my life that tried to lead me to Christ, that invited me to church, that invited me to go hear an Easter message, that invited me to a Christmas Eve service, all those years, invited me to a Bible study, pleading through, you know, God was pleading through them to to receive Christ, and it wasn't until that one message in 1992 
that God's message got finally through to my heart. Here's the reality. People's hearts are hard. They've been hurt. They've been wronged. Many times, people in the church have hurt them, judged them, come down on them. And no, we're not gonna water down the gospel. No, we're not gonna make it palatable for them, but we're gonna let them know how much God loves them. Again, verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. If nothing else compels you, let it be the love of Christ in your life that wants to be in the life of other people that compels you to share why you love being a Christian. That's being a bold witness for Christ. And that's the least we can do because he's coming back, guys, and now's the time. So be faithful, be found faithful, be compelled to let other people know that God loves them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. How grateful we are for the Apostle Paul to pen these words down, to remind us that we are to be persuasive, that we're to be compelling, people of reconciliation, and allowing you to plead through us, Lord. All of these things, all of these things, Lord, are opportunities for us to be used by you. Oh, it's great to come to church. It's great to see other believers and to hug and to smile and to be in each other's lives. But Lord, let it not just stop here. Let it also go beyond these walls, beyond this property, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, the grocery stores, the coffee shops, the gyms that we may go to. Lord, please, we pray. Fill us with your spirit. Shine through us brightly your love for people. Because your sacrifice was more than enough. It was enough for us. It's enough for all. You died for the entire world. And Lord, we, I know you don't want to see any perish. Help us to have those hearts. Help us that we don't want to see any perish, Lord. Even our enemies, perhaps. So we pray for our families who are lost. We pray for our coworkers who go through life oblivious of their eternal destiny. But Lord, I pray that as we go about our days, that people would see that we are different, that we are joyful. Even when things happen to us that are not easy, Lord, we still praise you. Let that be an opportunity for them to ask why we are who we are, why we do what we do. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here. God, use them. Use them mightily. Draw many into your kingdom, for we know the time is very short. And we're always to be looking up, expecting, anticipating your imminent return. Let us not waste one single minute. May it be for your glory and honor, we pray. I pray blessings upon everyone here this morning. Bless their day, bless their lives. And Lord, 
We do it all for you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.